thank you for having me. Hope everyone um, got well fed during lunch and you are ready for the afternoon session. So what I want to talk to you about first is just to give you a short overview about uh, what the Archives Portal Europe is, what we currently offer as functionalities and what the background of the Archives Portal Europe is. So um, I'm starting out with the names of the two projects that have been creating and are now expanding the Archives Portal Europe in terms of functionalities and data and institutions connected. So we started out in 2009 with the APENET project and have transitioned since then to the project APEX, which is currently in its third year. Uh, so we've got one year ahead of us, uh, might have a little bit of prolongation uh, depending on the, how kind the European Commission is towards us. We are funded by the European Commission at the moment and both these projects have led to the Archives Port Europe. We are currently 32 partners in the Archives Port Europe or the network around the Archives Port Europe. So we are basically covering um, the whole European Union apart from Cyprus. Uh, when we're working on that, <laughs> but we also have uh, some of the non-European member states uh, participating in our portal. This is how the Archives Portal Europe currently looks like. So this is what you would find <coughs> when entering archivesportaleurope.net in your browser. And I just want to give you a short overview <coughs> about the functionalities. So we start out with a simple full text search directly on the home page. Um, everyone's used to this, uh, so you just type in your search term. You have um, the possibility to restrict your findings on objects that link to digitized material if you want to, but you can also just go ahead and search by term. We of course also have some advanced search options. There is the possibility to say, okay, I just want to search the titles of the units first, or I want to search the description of the units, or if you have found this in a secondary literary literature, uh, you could also uh, search by reference code. We also have the possibility to say I want to directly go into the detailed descriptions into the finding aids or I want to first have a general overview about the holdings and funds and uh, collections that an archival institution has. So I start out with searching on the holdings guide level. And what we also have is something like this. This is the archival landscape and you will find this in various places in the Archives Portal Europe at the moment. Uh, we are starting out with the country level and within the countries there might be groupings of archival institutions. So for instance the colleagues in France start with the national level and then go to the regional levels and other groupings and you can actually select all <coughs> of these different levels independently from each other or combined with each other um, to start your search. So to concentrate your search on from the beginning, for instance, certain countries, when you say, okay, I'm living in France and I actually can only travel to France, so I'm starting there. Or if you already know um, specific finding aids where that are related to your research topic, then you can also directly go to this, that level. The search results, uh, we've decided to go for two different views. So we have a list view of search results, uh, which in most of the cases includes the title, abstract of the description, and then information on in which um, collection this item was found and from which institution it is. 
And in this list view, you have different possibilities to refine the results, because as we've seen this morning session with the uh, discovery um, part, we, uh, uh, this is a search with the search term Berlin, and it's currently giving um, over 600,000 hits <laughs> in the Archives for Europe. So you definitely want to refine that in order to make use of it. And uh, there are different refinement options um, by country, by archival institution, but you also can, again, select only uh, with digital objects, or you can go by various date um, types. Uh, we've decided to, to do this because, as we know, not all dates, as these below, can be normalized. So you might have textual dates in your, in your data. Uh, you might have something that says, we don't know the exact date, so you can't really uh, normalize this and use it for technical retrieval. So we all also have something like only descriptive dates or no date specified. Um, you also have something like a preview directly from this search results list, uh, which gives you a little bit more of information on the single hit. And from there, you can then enter the full display of the search result. Before we go to that, I just want to briefly show you the context view. This is the alternative. So if you are used to the <coughs> hierarchical structures in archives, and if you already know your way a little bit, then it might be easier to actually go via the hierarchical structures to the hits that you are interested in. And also from here, you have the preview, and you would then be landing in a page <coughs> like this. So you have the the hit that you come from, and you have the context of the hit. So when you've entered this page, you can also browse the archival units before and after that, and you can see where is this hit actually located in the structure. And I've just chosen two examples with uh, digital objects to show you um, how we deal with digital objects, because we don't have the objects themselves on our portal. We just have the links in the, in the data. And so clicking on the symbol would actually lead you to the web page <coughs> of our content providers. And depending on what the content providers give us, you could also have something like this. So in this example, we don't only have the link for the object itself, but we also have links for thumbnails. And this allows us to preview the thumbnails also in our own view even though we don't have the thumbnails physically in our system. And from this it would work, as in the example before, that you would then enter the presentation of the digital object at the content provider's website, and you see here that they, of course, also provide additional functionalities that we don't have in the central system. Um, this is just another part of the Archives Port of Europe at the moment. This is giving the overview of our contributors. So you can zoom in, zoom out, um, have a look at which archives are currently included, and each of the archives goes with such a sh short description uh, where you have contact details, uh, where you might have information like um, how do I get there or um, do I have the possibility to order something online before making my trip and things like this. And something that it's it's rather new, we've just released uh, a new version end of February, is uh, a My Pages section. 
And uh, this is something that we will <coughs> continue to expand in the coming year. Uh, at the moment, the main action that you can do here is to save your searches. So to, to save searches with the um, characteristics. So if you have done any selections in order to do your search, this will be saved and the search term that you've searched with. So you can revisit this um, and might also uh, then include new data that has been uploaded between the time when you first looked at it and when you're now looking at it. So that's just for the portal and now going to the background. As you've seen, uh, there are three layers in our presentation in different parts. So we are starting with the archival landscape, which is encoded in EAD. So the structures that you have in EAD, we are making use of this for the countries, groupings, institutions parts. And the same would then go for the middle layer, which is the holdings guides. So hierarchically structured lists of the forms and collections of one institution, uh, which are linked at the moment to the finding aids and will be linked in future to descriptions of the records creators. And at the bottom layer, you would then find the finding aids with the detailed descriptions, um, possibly linked to digital objects and as well linked to information on the records creators. Coming to the standards, uh, we have currently three standards that we are working with actively, which is EAD, ESCCPF for the records creators, and EAG. Uh, EAG is the communication standard um, <coughs> towards ISDIA, which we've spoken about this morning. Um, it has been developed in the Sensogia, which is a Spanish Latin American portal on archives. And we have adapted this because this first version of EAG was not that aligned with ISDIA. So ISDIA provided you a lot of more information about your institution that you couldn't encode in the first version of EAG. So just to give you an overview of what we did with these standards, um, EAD was the standard that was widely used already within our partners. Sometimes they used EAD directly, sometimes they had EAD exports, uh, which they also used on, on national levels. So we had a great variety of possibilities how to use EAD. Uh, but in order to make a central system work and to not having to check, okay, it might be that this information is here and it could be here and it could be here, uh, we decided to go for a central profile of EAD. Uh, so we have done a comparison of how the partners are currently using EAD. We have tried to come up with a synopsis of differences and similarities. And based on this, we defined a first version of APE EAD, as we are calling it, for the central use. And this is actually being in constant adaptation when new partners come in or when we decide for having new functionalities. Then EAG, um, as said, there is currently no official uh, committee taking care of EEG. So we basically made, made use of the fact that the creators of EEG with the Spanish colleagues are part of our project and that we do have a, a big background or broad background with uh, the 32 partners that we have and we sat down and said, okay, how can we transform ISDIA into a communication standard and then came up with a new version of EEG which was published uh, via the EAD mailing list um, as a workaround in uh, 2012. It's currently used in the Arcosport Europe and will be used also in the Sensor Gear, which has 50,000 um, descriptions of archives. 
And um, the new thing will be ESCCPF. So we've worked on defining an ESCCPF profile during the last year. So going the same way as we did with EAD, seeing what are the partners already doing with the ECCPF and how can we transfer this to our central system in the Arcos Portal Europe. And the major task for this year will be to actually implement the <coughs> ECCPF in the Arcos Portal Europe. And then one last, let's say, pillar of how we are doing things in the Arcos Portal Europe is that we have decided to go for decentralized responsibility. That is, we are currently doing all the preparatory steps in order to set up a conversion from local data to our centralized profiles together with the partners. So getting to know their data, getting to know their needs, uh, their possibilities, and preparing with them that um, the actual technical process will be running smoothly. Uh, but we provide them with tools either for local use or for central use in order for them to really do this data processing themselves. So the content providers um, have all the different steps within the data processing uh, management in control. Uh, they can check the results for each of the steps. Uh, they can go back um, or they can also at the <coughs> moment um, define everything as more or less automatic if they are already sure that everything's working fine. And this would be the place where I hand over to Okay, so I'm going to be very brief. Um, I'm just talking a little bit about being on the Archives Portal Europe from the UK perspective and going back to uh, what I showed you in the morning about the way that um, the Archives Hub is, is kind of the, uh, taking on the country manager role for the Archives Portal Europe using our data and doing some of this data wrangling stuff. So uh, Kirsten talked a bit about the directory. We started by looking at the directory and deciding how to uh, categorise our archives. had quite an interesting discussion with our European colleagues because I thought it might be good to have the same approach to other countries as to how they uh, divided up their archival landscape, but that didn't work because we're all quite different. <laughs> so in the end, I went with like the classic kind of divisions that we might use in this country, and certainly we use on the archives hub, university archives, specialist archives, that kind of thing. And then we got our first contributor on, which I believe was Strathclyde. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Victoria uh, created the EAG uh, description that Kirsten talked about. And so we were able to get their data straight up onto the Archives Portal Europe. So the data's in the Archives Hub, the data's now in Archives Portal Europe, kind of job done. Um, so I just wanted to talk very briefly about the steps that we take to get the data up. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about one of the questions somebody asked um, in the morning about are the data standards fit for purpose? And I do sometimes think that it's not just about saying, yes, there's a data standard. It's about saying there's an effective data standard. It's about understanding the data standard. But also, kind of on the flip side, it's about sometimes it's about um, compromising with the data standard, which might sound slightly odd, but it is. That's life. Um, so the Archives Hub, our data is in encoded archival description already. Uh, APE is working in encoded ar archival description, so we already had a good start, a good kind of meet in the middle. So we've got the standard, that was the first thing. On the Archives Hub, we try and find ways to make the EAD output more effective. So one of the ways we do that is through the EAD editor that some people in the room will have used. And if you use this editor to create your data, it creates good, standard, effective EAD. 
So using tools like this helps us to create more consistent data, which helps with the job. But then there was the work that we needed to do, and this is the data wrangling, and this is actually a screenshot from uh, a spreadsheet that I created, so it wasn't really for public consumption, as, as you can probably gather. Um, but I created it when I started working with the developers in APE, looking at what's our EAD and what's their EAD, and do the differences matter? Is it fine that they're going to change it and create this, or are we going to lose something on the way? Do we need to make any changes to our data, or do they need to make changes to their style sheet to work with our data? So we went through all the tags that we used and uh, had quite a detailed discussion. And that, that's where the ability to compromise comes in, because sometimes <coughs> you just can't have everything you want with these things. So you have to think about what's most important. And the idea of understanding your, your, uh, your data standard, um, I had quite a lot of conversations with the eight developer where we, we kind of spoke EAD with each other and it helps to have that common kind of language. So in this case, we were talking about the unit ID, the identifier, um, how we need to check it, how we use it, how they use it, what the problems might be. Um, the unit ID is a particularly important field because it's the descriptive identifier. It gives you your persistent URL and so forth. So we had quite a lot of these quite involved kind of conversations around some of the tags that were problematic for us. Um, so as the country manager, I kind of uh, create accounts for all the people that contribute to the Archives Hub. So you can see here. And then once they get an account, what they can do if they wish to is upload the data themselves. But on the other hand, we can do it for them. So they get the account which allows them to create this EAG description, which we were talking about, uh, which Kirsten was talking about earlier. So once they've created their EAG description, I can upload their data. And they provide this fantastic tool, actually. I think it's, it's, it's really good. Very impressed with the, uh, with the data preparation tool. And I can load the data into here. Now, I particularly picked one that got lots of fatal errors on purpose, <laughs> just so you can see what occasionally happens. That doesn't <coughs> usually happen. Uh, kind of 89% of the time, the data validates. But what I do is put the data in, put in some options about the data, and then just, just run it. And um, I get back whether the data's been converted, whether it's valid, so whether it's been published. And if there's some kind of a problem with the data, fatal error, um, I get um, an error message down here that I can look at. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, if you know revision desk, revision desk is missing uh, at least one of the following sub-elements. You need to kind of have a sense of what that might mean. So it helps to have an understanding of EAD, which is why it makes sense for us as an aggregator to do this work on behalf of our contributors because we can, uh, we can do that. And also, I can look at Revision Desk, I can find out what the problem is, I can talk to the APE developer, and we can come up with a solution which will then work for all the contributors. So it's not one at a time, it's, it's a cooperative kind of unified approach. Um, right, I did that at a rush because we were a bit behind. <laughs> so I'm passing back to Kirsten now because uh, one of the things we want to do via contributing to Archives Portal Europe, potentially, is get data into Europeana. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.